Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. For me, a great achievement was when I won the Formula One World Championship at Monza. I won the race, and I won the championship. Those are the words of Emerson Fittipaldi in a previous podcast we did for the Race of My Life series. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can have a listen to that show after this one. Well, we may be a few days into 2023, but just before Christmas at the end of last year, I sat down with Autosports Chief Editor Kevin Turner to talk about one of the records in Formula One which took decades to break, and that is Emerson Fittipaldi's, his World Championship drive with Lotus. And there's a whole bunch of celebrations which kicked off around the 50th anniversary of that actual event, of the actual race in Italy, a few months ago. And those celebrations are continuing. 
Lotus, the car maker, these days owned by the Chinese company Geely, have unveiled a tribute vehicle to Emerson Fittipaldi and that win 50 years ago. He dominated the 1972 season in the Lotus 72D, becoming the youngest ever Formula One world champion. As we've just had the 50th anniversary of that incredible record-breaking win, let's talk about it with our chief editor, Kevin Turner. Was it man? Was it machine? Or a combination of both? How did he do it? And why did it take so long to break that record that stood? Let's find out and get up to speed with Kevin now. Uh, Let's join Kevin when I spoke to him just before Christmas in our office in London. And he seemed pretty happy about uh, talking about something from 50 years ago. Oh, yeah, this is this is right in my uh, (laughs) it's right down my street. This I was very pleased when you emailed me about this. I'm going, how do you fancy having a chat about 1972 in Emerson? Yes, please. Yes, please. Let's do that. Well, uh, of course, the reason that I saw it was the 50th anniversary and Lotus, the car company, as it is these days, were releasing a, a specialist edition of, of one of their road cars I forget which one but it, it brought to mind yes we missed the actual anniversary earlier this year but it is indeed 50 years when Formula One gained a new world champion younger than any before this kid from Brazil uh, that many people might have thought had kind of come from from nowhere but it, indeed he hadn't because he'd been racing uh, in the UK and here in in Europe we're going to find out his story of of how he got there and then how he won so um so so let's build up to that what was his what was his path in motorsport how did he end up in UK in European racing series long before formula 1 well yeah i mean in in those days you know the UK was where you came to to get your career started obviously formula ford had, had, had started uh yeah just in 1967 and that very quickly became you know the place for the for mm. aspiring racing drivers to be mok over to do that and did the did the usual climbing up the ra- back when it was a bit more of a straightforward ladder uh, although to be fair the fi have tried to to make that uh, more sensible in recent years but yeah so he came up he came up the the uk ranks he was he was known um you know so in european circles you know very early um, and of course, he was the first sort of big name Brazilian to, to come across. He sort of paved the way for Nelson Piquet and Sen to come along later on. Um, but the thing that sort of thrust him, I think the reason, if you like, that we're talking about him as, as the youngest world champion until Fernando Alonso took that off him, uh, was because of what happened at Lotus. So obviously he was he was started he started off in the old Lotus Forty Nine in 1970 as kind of the, almost the second or third string car <laughs> to Jochen Rint. Uh, in the late 72 winning the championship and then Jochen was killed at Monza and uh, and really Emo stepped up and won his fourth world championship Grand Prix <laughs> in the US Grand Prix which also clinched the championship for Jochen because it meant Jackie X couldn't catch him and suddenly he was team leader so it was this kind of rapid rise and then the loss of his you know and I, I believe Jochen was very helpful to Emo um, it, you know, in his early days he speaks very highly of him um, but yes yeah, so suddenly there you are you're young Brazilian and, and, and you're leading the yeah. world championship winning Formula 1 team and, and he was very young because he won the world championship like I say when he was 25 years old and that would stand for decades until Fernando Alonso came along and then it, that uh, that record has changed hands a few times since then but it stood for so so long tell me about that car then the Lotus 72D so he wasn't new to Formula 1 that year but and that car that chassis that engine tell us a little bit about that and and, and what kind of machinery was he driving as he came into 72 well so the so the Lotus 72 we did a we did a piece on this a couple of years back where we kind of decided it was the, the greatest uh competition car of all time 
it, it it's not sort of a game changing quite the same way that say the Lotus Foot Nine was with DFV and stress member, but it's it sets the template for what a single seater looks like. You know that yeah. chisel nose, radiators on the side. Um, but it had a very interesting life. So it had all sorts of weird and wonderful anti-squat, anti-dive suspension. It didn't really work when it first came out. Rint hated driving it. But they worked away, worked away, worked away. When MO got hold of it into, in 1970, it was obviously it had won the championship. So it was kind of there. But then it was thrown by 1971. Obviously, he was still inexperienced. Probably wasn't ready to fight for the championship at that point. But also Firestone introduced slick tyres in 1971. And that really changed how the cars use the rubber um so it actually required quite a lot of suspension uh, tweaks to get that that slick to work and of course th- some bits were fragile lotuses could be a bit fragile so some bits are broken in 71 colin chapman had got a bit carried away with the lotus 56b turbine car which mm. mo did drive it was like <laughs> uh, and he was probably right to be a bit Nyeh. And I think over the winter into 72, they had new new funding from John Player Special. So they went from that cool gold leaf livery to an even cooler black, the black and gold JPS livery. They got the suspensions altered. They got it working on the tyres. MO was ready. So if you look at the end of 71, actually, they are beginning to pick up results. So the kind of the signs were there. Right. Um, but I, yeah, it was, yeah, they were quite evenly matched the Lotus with the, the Ferrari uh, and the Tyrrell in 72 in terms of raw pace. But the Lotus was just a much better overall race car, I think. And all these years later, we're still talking about tyres as a central <laughs> issue in, in Formula One. But it was no different in 1971-72. Was there anything about his age, his his lack of experience almost, in that he was perhaps more malleable, adaptable to driving cars, unlike some of the older drivers who were perhaps a little uh, slower to learn? Or is that uh, not the case? I think it depends on the on the individuals, but certainly if you look at Mo's career, yeah, adaptable is probably fair yeah. to say is one of his strengths because look, you know, once his F one career ended, he went off to IndyCar, mm-hmm. won the Indy five hundred and the IndyCar championship. So, I think it's it's down to the individual abilities yeah. and their willingness to, to to go with it. I think he formed a, a pretty strong relationship with Colin Chapman as well. Maybe not quite the Clark Chapman thing, mm. but I think even Colin said to because Emma talked about this when we interviewed him. Was you know Colin said you know I've got close to drives before and it's you know it's painful when things go wrong you know, and they get, get killed because obviously mm. he'd lost Clark and Rint quite close together. Um, so I think it was the, it was the right, you know, right, right person, right team, right time. But I think also we should probably mention, uh, you might be getting onto it, Martin, but, but Jackie Stewart, the other opportunity that comes along in 1972 is that, you know, Jackie Stewart by the end of 71 is the, the best driver in the world. I think probably without any question, once Rint's killed, there's not, you know, MO's the coming guy. Jackie X is probably the next one. Mm. He's quite close. Um, Pedro Rodriguez until he was killed in 71 so Stuart is the king coming into 72 but a combination of I think the Lotus being better MO being ready for it and of course uh, Jackie got uh, Diodino Ulster during the year so if you look at a couple of his performances before he misses the French Grand Prix I think it is um, yeah he has uh, no that's where he returned so he missed the Belgian Grand Prix Um, he has a couple he has a couple of uh, uncharacteristic errors not really on it not feeling well he misses a race so uh, I'm not not in any way uh, mm. trying to you know, put a damper on Emo's uh, championship campaign, mm. but I think that gives an opportunity. But I did do some stats I think you'll like. Go so on. I went through each race by race to work out who who was ahead of who in their head-to-head yeah. before Mechanical intervened or they finished. And of the nine races that, that, that I thought you could make a call on, it was 5-4 to Emo. Mm. So that's, not, that's a deserving champion. But interestingly, when Stuart comes back 
uh, from the French Grand Prix, the number of points he and Emma score is exactly the same. So they're absolutely neck and neck. Autocourse and Autosport both put Stuart at number one in their driver ratings at the end of the year. But Emma took the title. I think that's I think that's probably that's probably fair. They were they were quite head and shoulders above the others. Ix was good in the Ferrari, but it didn't finish enough races, wasn't consistent enough. Um so yeah. You mentioned Colin Chapman, a final word on him and the Lotus. Of course he had a reputation for building a car which would get to the flag and just get to the flag that was his philosophy of why would you have a car that would do any more than it needs it needs to do and perhaps have a reputation for fragility in places but what that that car had evolved to a stage of what was the reliability like in the 72 season uh, yeah, and how did that benefit Emerson Fittipaldi yeah it was pretty good it was pretty on a par for the time like they weren't as reliable those cars as, as we come to expect them now but it was it was on a par with the others I think that was a combination of Lotus being able to turn their attention back to the 72 after the turbine yeah the turbine thing um, beefing up things for the suspension and sorting it out with the tyres because obviously with the stick tyre you're putting more load through everything mm. so even if you had a reliable car you're suddenly putting more more through it and you're break you're finding new things to break and as you say Chapman was always towards the you know the ad lightness mm. quote you know he was always if he could get away with something that thin then he would get away with it so but I think by then they'd honed the car enough to it was it was thin mm. but it, it was thick enough <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think I don't you know I don't think yeah. MO was ever known as a car breaker you know kind of a sm- you know kind of a nice smooth um you know him and Ronnie Peterson obviously the pe- teammates the following year mm. you had Emo that could set the car up and was kind of the almost the mature ahead at that point even though Ronnie had joined at the same time Ronnie would drive it sideways but faster mm. uh, and they were a great sort of combination really although they both ended up losing the championship um, but yeah no, I think by by 72 the, the car was ready Emo loved it it was the car he picked as his best car yeah, best car of his whole career. He's he he comes back to drive the old cars. In fact, you mentioned the the Lotus launch um, yeah. a month or two ago. Yeah. They actually also classic team Lotus. Clive Chapman, Collins, uh, Collins' son. They got all the existing Lotus seventy two chassis together for that, and they gather gathered them together. Uh, some wow. fans. I was hoping to go to that, but unfortunately, uh, couldn't in the end. But um, uh, yeah, seen some brilliant brilliant photos of Mo there with all all the 72s behind him which is really very very cool bearing in mind that he also won the world championship in the McLaren M23 which is another great F1 design uh, I think that gives you an idea of just how how a one he felt with that car you always want to beat your teammate as the first person because they're in equal machinery so who was his teammate in 72 uh, it was Dave Walker who Exactly. Our listeners are asking. Now who? He, he was. His is an interesting story that I'd, I'd really like to know more about. Mm. So this is a challenge for me for the, for the future, perhaps. But yeah, he was quite highly rated coming up through the ranks, like you know, most of them are when they get to F one. But he had an awful season. Um, uh, I don't. I think maybe there are times when obviously you, you build yourself around your your best asset, don't you, as a team? Um, uh, so maybe he just he got all the love. But I'm sure Lotus. Uh, mechanics and people at the time would say, "Well, no, that's not that's not why why it happened." But he, yeah, I don't, he didn't. I don't think he scored a point. Um, completely, um, no, he didn't. He scored a point. He barely, you know, he, he could barely finish in the top ten. Um, I think he'd, if if it was on twenty twenty two scoring, he'd have scored three points. Destroyed by his teammates, Dest- and then and then left Formula then, One. Yeah, <laughs> and they, after they put, that season, they put Rainy Vizelli in for a couple of races, who I think did a, probably did a better job. Um, um, was kind of actually he was a sort of a, a rival if you like compatriot of, of Ronnie Peterson who then joined the team and then suddenly had two number ones in the team which eventually put Emo's no- nose out of joint um, not because of anything Ronnie did they yeah. got on famously because I think everyone loved Ronnie Peterson 
Um, but no, Dave Walker, yeah, it's, um, it's a sort of a sad story, really. He, for whatever reason, it just didn't happen for him when he got his chance in F1. Right, coming up on the podcast, we will find out how the 72 season went and what eventually won it and made Emerson Fittipaldi a record breaker. And find out about a crash on the way to the track in Italy that had some of the Italian fans even stealing parts of the car from the roadside. What? That story's on the way. Stick around. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Let's get into the 72 season then. I mean, it, it wouldn't even get you to the summer break these days. 12 races <laughs> um, and half as many as we're, we're heading to <laughs> heading towards next year. Um, and his record was five wins and three podiums, which was enough in 72 to completely dominate. Uh, these days, um, it wouldn't, but uh, coming off the back of what Verstappen's just done. Um, but that was, uh, you know, in 72, that was, that was a proper domination of a, of a season until he won because he didn't score anything after Italy. Yeah, no, he didn't. But I, you say domination, but I mean, obviously, Stuart did win four times. Of course, yeah, of uh, course. Having missed missed one race, and as I say, I think been ill for at least one, possibly two. There were 16 points between them at the time, and I think it was nine points for a win. So, yeah, I mean, we're not talking domination, Max Verstappen 2022 no, no, not style. At all. No. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, yeah, just to clinch it in a 12 race season with two rounds to go, um, you know, is, is, is pretty good. I mean, um, early on in the season, um, you know, Mo and, and and Jackie kind of they, they both had a, a reasonable start in terms of pace. Um, Stuart won the first race in Argentina. Um, uh, Mo retired, but was second in South Africa and then won in Spain. So, you know, it was a fairly even start. But then there's that middle campaign um, at Monaco. Mo gets a third place behind the Jean Pierre Beltoise masterclass. Mm. Um, but Beltoise is never going to be a championship contender, so that's a that's a bonus. Um, obviously, Emma then won the Belgian Grand Prix when Stuart wasn't there. Stuart won the French Grand Prix, but I think one of the best races of the season, and uh, I'd like to put it to Emma that this <laughs> arguably was a better drive well. than his race in my life. I think he picks that for other reasons. Yeah. Um, but the British Grand Prix, which is a three-way fight between uh, Ix, Stuart and Fittipaldi, so the three drives of the year, mm. and it's proper flat-out chasing each other for the entire length of the race. Um, a little bit of overtaken as well, I think. Uh, and Mo comes out on top, uh, mm. and to, to to beat that company, that that's a proper, you know, when you've got to deliver, you deliver. Uh, which for a guy who's only in his, well, really second full season of F one against a guy who's already double world champion, I think that's for me that's his standout standout race of the season. Can you explain back in the seventies what dropped points were and why it wasn't as simple as going to a race the first six races of the year scoring your points and going away with that's what you've got how did the point system work back then oh confusingly and ridiculously <laughs> uh, and they ch- changing it as oh, well yes. from year to year they did different things sometimes it was ridiculous so for that <laughs> that particular season um, the best five results from your first six uh, races counted and then the best five results from the second half of the season counted now Quite often, that means you wouldn't actually drop points because right. in those days you'd probably have a retirement in either half of the season. But it did mean that if you had, let's say, you had uh, four four wins, a second, and a third in the first half of the season, mm. your third wouldn't wouldn't count for anything. So those four points wouldn't, as it would have been then, four points wouldn't count. Mm. And your two halves of the season are added together. Brilliant. Uh, now they got even more complicated in the late seventies and early eighties before they went. And you know what? Should we just count all the races? Count the points. Um, as yeah, which, which I think was was sanity really. But actually, if you look at the seventy-two championship points, I don't think anyone dropped any points. Wow! Um, it's that drop points has only changed the outcome of the title twice. Here's a fun little fact: right, nineteen sixty-four. Yeah, 
Graham Hill would have won the World Championship rather than John Surtees if they weren't dropped points. So he would have won by one instead of lost by one. And more controversially, perhaps, 1988, the Senna-Prost year, Prost scored more points than Senna, but lost on the dropped scores rule. Well, there we go. go. Only twice. Before we get to Italy, let's just talk through the season. Any races that you want to pick out or highlight? You mentioned Silverstone already. Anything else? Or should we just get to the decider? Yeah, I think I, yeah, I think the one that stands out to me, as I say, is the is the British Grand Prix, really. So I'm I'm happy. Well, I, I like talking about Monaco '72, but that's just that's a wet classic, <laughs> which I talk about all the time. So uh, we should probably yeah, let's 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 talk about let's talk about Monza, and let's talk about how they were getting there. Now, in the race of my life interview that we did, he said, "I couldn't believe it. Here I was going to the championship decider, and the truck crashes on the freeway, 60 miles before Milano." And then myself and Peter War drove on. We saw spare parts on the grass everywhere. The Italians were trying to grab them as souvenirs. The team were just trying to stop them. I looked at that scene and I couldn't believe this was my car. A few days before, I was going to decide my world championship. So a heck of a story before you even get there. And I think before the race, he had a fuel leak as well. It was like the, just like the omens weren't looking good, you know. I think that's probably why he picks it as the race of his life. I think, for me, race of my life is, because uh, I am I can be that bit removed from it and I try and be less emotional, Yeah, uh, which is stupid because it's like, you know, kind of enthusiastic, we love it all. But I try and be like, what was your best drive is kind of what I mean. And that's why I put, picked out his, his brand's hatch win in the British Grand Prix. But I think from an emotional perspective, it's the, it's the, the, it's the <laughs> yeah, the, the, the truck crashed, the fuel leak on the grid, the car wasn't working in practice, Ferrari was very quick, home of, home of Ferrari, it's a fossi, you know, you're pretty unpopular if you're <laughs> not driving a Ferrari normally. Um, and everything was against him. So to then not only clinch the championship, but to win the race as well, become the youngest world champion. I think his dad was commentating on it as well. He was for Brazilian uh, radio. Yeah, which is really cool. Imagine like having your dad commentate as you win the world championship. Like that's that's pretty amazing. So you can kind of see why he's he's picked. I mean as a re- race it wasn't particularly remarkable. Yeah. He, he was the next best behind the Ferrari. He chased the Ferrari, the Ferrari's broke, he won. So if you were doing a top 10 list of Emerson for Tapaldi drives, which of course I am. <laughs> uh, Quick plug for a future. Actually, oh, I don't know when I'll get it done, but um, I'd like to speak to him about it actually. But um, yeah, well, well, that's a work in progress. But uh, it wouldn't be my number one choice for him, which makes sound a bit presumptuous. But I mean purely from the driving point of view, but as in a holistic look at the story of this ridiculous weekend from road crash with the truck to fuel leak to championship yeah. victory is a remarkable yeah remarkable story and tell us uh, a little more about how that uh, that race went because he was going into it knowing that it was uh, the possibility he'd break the record youngest world champion how did the how did the grand prix pan out you've mentioned it a little bit already but yeah well, as i say it was one of those weekends where the, the, the ferrari the ferrari season was quite an odd one i mean <laughs> Uh, which year am I talking about, listener? <laughs> it could be almost any. Um, but yeah, so obviously they they usually, you know, in those days, Ferrari usually had a really good engine, uh, either V12 or mm. in this case, a, a flat 12, which round... Uh, now, Monza, of course, this was the first year of the chicanes. So, because uh, 71 had been that incredible slipstreaming Peter Gethin fastest right, race okay. record and I think even F1 in the 70s they went oh that's a bit quick isn't it 150 mile an hour average yeah. so I just put some chicanes in which of course everyone hated as they still do yes um, so yeah uh, it wasn't a great practice um, uh, Jack Hicks was on pole in the Ferrari Chris Amon V12 Matra 
uh, was second. Jackie Stewart, uh, back on form, uh, the quickest of the DFV runners in third. Then another Ferrari, and then Denny Holm in the McLaren, which actually, that's a that's a pretty good effort because he wasn't much of a qualifier. Mm. So anyway, Emo was Emo was sixth on the grid, although only six tenths off pole, so not, <laughs> not, a huge, uh, not a huge disaster. He ran in the top three, so although he qualified sixth, his race pace was better, as it was most of the season. Mm. Um, and then he, I think he inherited the lead in the last ten laps. Ix led, then Reggett's only, then Ix again, and then by lap 46, both Ferraris had broken, <laughs> and Emo was left uh, in the lead and, and, and brought it home. Uh, 14 and a half seconds clear it was in the end of Mike Halewood. So there's there the, another legend name, but on two wheels, legendary number two wheels in, in the Surtees. It wasn't a sort of fantastic fight through the field or a virtuoso drive in the wet or a toe-to-toe fight with Stuart like the, the Brands race, yeah. but it's, it's the emotional thing, isn't it? It's getting the job done. Uh, becoming world champion and there he was the youngest world champion a record that would stand for decades afterwards until Fernando Alonso came along who was himself um, pretty special what was that like afterwards once he had won the you know the world championship because he actually had a bit a, a terrible end to the season scored no scored no more points um, and then where did his career go after that well oh, it's, it's interesting sometimes that happens doesn't mm. it uh, we've even seen it with Lewis Hamilton a few times when he's got the championship won Perhaps, perhaps a pre twenty seventeen version. Yeah, uh, when he get the championship one, and then it just—I'm sure it's not a conscious thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so Emo just didn't get to you know didn't get to the end of the last two last two races um, healthily anyway, and and Stuart kind of put his marker down for the following season by winning the last two two Grand Prix. Uh, and I guess that's what makes the challenge of points look closer. So perhaps I was being a bit unfair to you earlier yes. to say it wasn't domination. So I apologise that much. <laughs> um, but yeah, so into 73, you know, all, all looks good. Um, I, I still maintain that the Lotus 72 is the best car in 1973. Right. Jackie Stewart agrees with me. Does he? I also think the McLaren M23 was better than his Tyrrell, but he disagrees with me on that. Um, uh, whereas the M23 didn't have a, a, a top liner in those days. You know, um, you know, Denny Holm was a, a former world champion, but wasn't, yeah. was never the fastest. And Peter Revson was kind of an up-and-coming, but not quite top-draw guy. And you had Fittipaldi and Peterson in the Lotus, and Francois Sever and, and Stewart in the Tyrrell, which is quite a tricky car to drive. Lotus should have won that championship, mm. but Ronnie wasn't. Ronnie was a combination not quite up to speed early on and then unfortunately unreliability when Emo had a brilliant run and then it was the other way around in the second half of the year and Stuart just did what Mm. I believe is one of the great series we should do a a podcast Mm. on 73 but at the end of that season at Monza um, Stuart is putting what he thinks is his greatest drive coming through the field after a punch to finish fourth Emo's in second shadowing teammate Peterson waiting for the pre-agreed strategy which is Clark, uh, Colin Chapman to get Ronnie to step aside let Mo take the lead and win to keep the championship alive going to the next race mm. and the call never came right and Mo wasn't crossed with Ronnie because Ronnie was just doing what Ronnie did He's like, I'm, well I'm leading the race until I get told otherwise yeah. and we know from what happened with uh, Ronnie alongside Mary Andretti later on that Ronnie was a very very straight honest uh, he would do what yeah he would do what he agreed to you know there was yeah. no duplicity there at all so Mo was never I think he got on very well with Ronnie I don't think there was any problem there but he wasn't happy with Colin not doing that and he wasn't happy with the response after it was kind of a shrug of the shoulders and the result was that Mo left uh, and took his Marlborough money mm. to McLaren so quite a key moment really in most ways given how long Marlborough was then with McLaren mm. Uh, and then won the 1974 World Championship with McLaren which mm. must have been quite satisfying <laughs> uh, he was then probably one of the main rivals to Nicky Lauda as Lauda and Friday got going in 75 um, but then he obviously joined his his brother 
his brother's mm-hmm. Fittipaldi Copasuka mm. uh, sponsored team and that was a bit of a disaster the car was was not competitive so um, yeah, Emo very uh, as quickly as he rose, he mm. fell from sight in F one terms. Yeah, um, but as I say, then he went across to America and had a fantastic career there, and was still winning and fighting Nigel Mansell there we as go. late as you know the nineteen nineties uh, for you know Indy five hundred wins and the championship and all that sort of thing. So yeah, remarkable, remarkable man, incredible career. But and I think that's why it's so kind of cool that he still picks out the Lotus seventy two. As his, as his greatest greatest racing car because that's a guy yeah. that's, that's driven some some cool cool kit yeah including one of the great uh, one of the great Indy cars the ninety four Penske so so he's got a, if he was doing a list of I'm a, I'm obsessed with lists <laughs> this is the problem if he was doing a list he of was doing cars it, uh, yeah it'd be a good list to go through well I think we've got some future podcasts in there as well <laughs> uh, as normally happens when we do a show we've got four more to do well there we go thank you very much uh, that is our show for today I was also wondering about is there a podcast in in people who have commentated on motor races related to the people in the race because i'm also thinking of daryl waltrip in nascar who commentates you know commentates famously uh and brother michael who won daytona in 2001 that famous clip of him going come on mikey come on mikey got the race that dale earnhardt passed away but you think there's got to be examples in motorsport of commentating on your family members or maybe not if anyone's listening uh, uh, let me know it's niche but i mean i'm sure martin brunder will have commentated on alex racing somewhere somewhere um, or maybe not maybe that's the only example <laughs> there must be more examples there must be there must be email us podcast at autosport.com and do my research oh, for and me and then what's going to happen uh, <laughs> wonderful listeners if you get enough long enough list Martin do you want to do a podcast on uh, sons or daughters of uh, fathers and mothers of, of drivers that Absolutely. commentated well there we go that's our show for the day thank you very much for listening and we'll see you on the next one Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.